1: We have Adam Gilbert on here tonight. And then we, this is going to be kind of a treat because we frankly don't cover this topic very often. We're going to talk about commercial real estate investing. And he is with a firm called The Firm Commercial. Um, so definitely check that out. Is there any other places they should be uh, reaching out to you or looking you up?
2: Uh, you could definitely find me all over social media Facebook, Instagram. Most of it is going to be at Adam Gilbert13. Um, So Twitter, Instagram, all of them, follow me anywhere you want, except TikTok. I don't do TikTok.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I still don't understand TikTok. I've had so many people tell me I need to do TikTok, especially for the podcast, but
2: it's I, amazing. I, frankly, I, I consume I the it. content, but I it's really hard to make. I, I just it's, it's past my skill set. But if you want yeah. to consume some great content, TikTok is where it's at. Yeah,
1: That and Clubhouse. <laughs> I keep getting people mm-hmm. telling me about Clubhouse. And I have an invite to Clubhouse, but I, I have yet to really do anything with it. But. I
2: feel that's waning in popularity a little bit. I think it had its heyday and I think it had its moment.
1: Well, I I think it's because a lot of other applications and platforms are adding that functionality in now. Right? Even Discord. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's everywhere. Yeah. So anyway, let's let's jump into this. Like, how did you get into this? I mean, I know that you. I mean, you started off in a law firm, right?
2: Correct. Yeah, I'm a lawyer by trade, and um, in California, you can just if you're an attorney, you could just kind of sit for the broker's exam. And so I just kind of did that on a whim just to have an extra license and started doing deals on the side. And then next thing I know, I'm stopped practicing law and I'm doing real estate full time. So, I mean, most of the stuff that I do doesn't require my background. It definitely helps, um, but doesn't require, you know, any specific legal knowledge.
1: Sure. So, you know, and, and, commercial properties is kind of you know frankly it's it's a pretty big aspect of real estate investing but it's almost kind of a niche i mean a lot of the people that i talk to you know they always start off with wholesaling single family homes eventually move into multifamily but this commercial property is kind of out there somewhere it's on our radar but it's almost as if we're a little scared of it
2: yeah, definitely. That, that that was always interesting to me. You know, every time I go to a new city, I just like look at all of the commercial buildings, and I'm like, "Wow!" Like, someone or some entity like owns every single one of these, and so it's like it's we're surrounded by it. Every time we go out, like commercial real estate is all around us. But yeah, it is kind of kept in the dark a little bit. Um, but the way that commercial the way commercial real estate investing is set up is so favorable to the investor. Um, it's just absolutely incredible in terms of tax savings and the way that you can refinance and take money out of properties it, it really is incredible so um even the realist a lot of residential real estate agents who refer they're like oh i don't do commercial i'm like it's pretty much the same thing it's a building um but it's really just about fi- coming up with that understanding of some of the basic principles um to really wrap your head around it
1: sure well what what would be some of those differences and the benefits of commercial over residential?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, the idea behind uh, residential is that everyone needs a place to live. Um, mm-hmm. Commercial, it's a little bit different in that you don't need necessarily need a place to do your business, but so many people want it. Um, and so, some of the benefits of commercial real estate specifically is the way that it's financed and the way that valuations are done. So, the Financing structure is all based on the amount of income that comes into the property. Um, So, if I buy a property that has no tenants and not making any money, it's worth this much. As soon as I sign a couple of leases and have more income that I can show a bank, hey, I have these tenants coming in, it's worth this much. And so, just using the refinancing structure that so many people are familiar with, with residential real estate, you're able to very quickly create a lot of value, do a refinance. Take that money out and then either use those funds to go back into the building or invest in other buildings. So it allows you to really ramp up um, your real estate investing career pretty quickly. However, the numbers are bigger and the risk is bigger um, because you need to make sure that you have an asset that will be rented Uh, because if you don't have any tenants, uh, there goes your asset.
1: Well, you know, I think one of those things that's on the top of everybody's mind right now is is COVID. How has that has that impacted commercial properties over residential? I mean, it seems like residential has kind of come back in a pretty strongly all of a sudden. But you know, a lot of the small business owners I I've heard of, you know, there's a lot of them who are, are they're deciding to start to just let their employees stay working from home. It's been working out pretty well. I mean, that's probably not going to be the case for storefronts but some of the other mm-hmm. commercial properties might be the case is that is there seem to be an impact there
2: yeah definitely and I mean the, the really interesting thing is that depending on your location and depending on the timing there's so many different asset classes within commercial there's hospitality hotels there's industrial roll-up door office you know uh, industrial space there's office buildings there's retail shopping centers there's um, assisted living facilities and medical. Right. And so depending on what's going on, you know, you have to look to different asset classes. Um, I always like when thing, when people say something's dead, um, I go into that asset class because there's not as much competition. So right now, post-COVID, everyone's talking about, oh, office is dead. People will never go back. So guess what? The valuation of office buildings are at an all-time low. My assumption mm-hmm. is that we're going to get sick of li- working from home <laughs> at some point within the next yeah. two to three years. We're like, screw this. I'm going back to the office. Um, And so if you can buy these, these office buildings when no one wants them and then hold on to it for long enough, um, I think that you're going to have a really nice asset in the future. um, If you can get those tenants back in there.
1: Sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, uh, so one of the other things that I think is interesting regarding um, commercial properties is that the way things are leased out is so different than, than residential. Let's delve into that a little bit. Like how, how is that different?
2: Yeah. So it's different in a couple of ways. So first and foremost, um, and I'm speaking from my knowledge of California, right? Um, California is a very tenant protected state um, in terms of residential properties. It's very hard to evict someone, even if they're not paying rent, you have to go through all of these loopholes and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, make sure every single T is crossed and I is dotted because they want to protect people. They don't want people kicked out of their homes, commercial is completely different. It's a business. And usually, you know, you're getting a personal guarantee from someone who's running that business that they're going to pay the uh, the rent, right? Um, so, there are still some protections, but much less so because, again, if you lose your, your business lease, you know, the government is less inclined to protect you um, as opposed to being homeless, right? right. Um, and the amounts of these leases are crazy. Um, You know, like you sign a restaurant for, uh, you know, a, a certain amount, we're talking multiple hundred thousands, million dollar leases, like all the time, right? And that's why these commercial properties become so valuable. You tie that to a personal guarantee, and these people's houses, you know, they're going to be inclined to stay into the property um, or else you can go after them personally. Um, so there's a lot of teeth that you can use. Um, and, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to, you want to work with people, um, but you, there's a lot of power um, in the ability to uh, make sure that these people fulfill on their leases.
1: Right. Yeah. So, you know, I I'm in Minnesota, North Dakota, and, and some of that stuff that we kind of take for granted when it comes to realist, um, uh, residential, it's interesting what you can essentially have the store owner or whatever the commercial property pay for that you likely wouldn't have gotten away with in a residential property. I was trying to think of some examples, but it's, it's almost like, um, like, I, I think there was somebody locally that was renting out space for a restaurant and they even had, uh, included like leases on all of the equipment you know the restaurant Mm -hmm. equipment and and some of that stuff that the contents of the actual facility as well
2: yeah definitely and so that's one of the things so the really the cool thing from being a commercial property investor is that usually you have the shell of the building and then you're you're renting the individual suites to other people so if you know I Adam want to come in and start a restaurant business. You know, I'm responsible for doing the build out on the inside of that restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, Mister Landlord, might give me a tenant improvement allowance, a portion of that to help um, because you are improving my building. Um, but it's only going to be a portion. And so you have people coming in and they spend. You know, they have a concept for a nightclub or a cigar lounge. They come and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on this build out. If they fail in their business on, and the, and their lease you know not only do you have the rights for that for the total amount of the lease until you rent it out but if they do fail well they've improved your building and now you can take this improved building that they have and lease it out to someone else at a much higher rate um and so you know when someone's improving your property which doesn't happen in residential you know tenants residential tenants want to fix as little as possible hey our light bulbs out you know will you come uh, replace it um they're investing a, a lot of money and the landlord gets the benefit of that investment,
1: right, right. So, you know, one of the specializations that uh, I understand that you do is, you know, in in residential. I'm very familiar with this regarding being able to add value to a property in some way. But you found a way to do that through zoning.
2: Yeah. Um, so, you know, and I've done this now uh, for a couple of projects, uh, both on the residential and commercial side. And so, you know, a lot of times you'll drive through your town and you'll see this, that, that building, and you're like, why hasn't anyone done anything with that for like 20 years, right? It's either just a piece of dirt or uh, the building's falling apart, right? And it's like in the middle, what's wrong with it? Why hasn't someone done something? And usually what the case is I've found is that the zoning is off, right? Um, and so um, when you can't do the intended use or the best and highest use, someone's not going to take the time to invest to to develop it. And so an example of what I did is I took a 15,000 square foot industrial warehouse um, that was in Cathedral City here outside of Palm Springs. And it was about three years ago when cannabis deals were very hot in our area and everyone Mm -hmm. was investing in this this green rush. Um, And it was in a PLC zoning which is just a designation from the city, light industrial, right? Mm-hmm. If I was able to change the zone, the underlying zoning of the building to heavy industrial, then you could do cannabis businesses, and the value of the building would be, you know, two to three times what it was presently. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you have to go, you go through a process with the rezone. You can't do what's called spot zoning. So you can't just like take a building and say, I want to change the building, the zoning of this particular building. You have to change the whole area of that zoning designation. So what we did is we changed the entire zoning of the block. Long story short, took us about a year and about $150,000. Um, but what we were able to do was change that zoning, um, and then get the permits to do a cannabis business and then flip it to a cannabis investor for a profit. Um, So even if the building doesn't make sense or you can't do what you think, you can always just change the underlying zoning and create uh, that additional value. So,
1: you know, a lot of people go through a due diligence period, you know, when they, when they're attempting to acquire property is, is that something that they can, they can check to see if that's even possible before an acquisition?
2: You know, you you definitely want to check the underlying zoning of a building while you're in your due diligence to see what you can do. The process within which to change zoning is typically about, at least in my area, it's about a year. Um, okay. So you're not going to be able to get um, enough time and due diligence to go through the entire process. Um, so what I do is I, you know, I'm not really a, a gambler, right? But mm-hmm. to use a poker analogy, if I have two kings, you know, I, there might be someone with two aces, but I, I'll make the bet, right? Um, so you do your initial due diligence to find out if if it's if it's open for the, the zoning, um, and then what I do is I purchase an option to be able to close um, within the period of a year, um, or I will release a large deposit to give me. The time needed um to actually do the due diligence um, so you got to pay to play a bit um, but within that first you know 45 60 days of due diligence you're going to get a lot of information as to whether or not you're holding you know two seven or two kings and whether sure. and whether or not you should make the bet
1: yeah no that makes a lot of sense so just as a reminder we're talking to adam gilbert he's with the firm commercial you can find him at the and I'll make sure to include those links in the show notes with all of the social media links and and Adam is found on all of them except for TikTok.
2: <laughs> I'm on TikTok. I just don't produce content for it. So you can still find me and send me your your, your best little clips.
1: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so yeah. So another thing that that I'd like to chat about too then is when it comes to co- when you're acquiring commercial. Do you typically find that you're talking to the sellers directly or are you going through a realtor? Uh,
2: so I'd say it's about 50-50 um, for me at least. Um, I happen to be a broker, so I have access True. to you know some information as to who the who the sellers are. Um, but you're really going to find the best deals um, off market. Um, right. And so the, 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 the project that I'm working on now, was again one of these buildings. My, my office was in the building next to it, um, and I would drive by it every day. And it was vacant for about seven years, and there was no for sale sign, no for lease sign. It was just sitting there, and I was like, "Why hasn't anyone done anything with this?" I put a call into the the owner. Turns out he's this big uh, property holder from you know Los Angeles. And this was his redheaded stepchild you know this was the the property in the desert that he's just like i i don't want to deal with it i don't want to put the money into it so that was an opportunity um to you know make a deal with him uh to be able to create the value um that i was able to create sure
1: so do you have you found that like when you acquire a commercial property uh, is there any any differences there like anything you can take advantage of when you're talking to these sell- sellers whether it's some sort of flexibility on terms or the closing process, how does that look, especially compared to residential?
2: Yeah. So I'd say the biggest thing um, that you'll find with commercial as opposed to residential is that people who hold commercial property are typically you know, wealthy. Um, they you know they 've gone through the process of either acquiring or inheriting you know property um and a lot of times if they held it for a long time, the values have gone up so substantially that they own it outright you know they bought it for two Tic Tacs and a nickel like in 1972, right? And now it's worth $3 million. It's crazy. Um, And so one of the biggest things, if that's the case, is the ability to use seller financing. Um, And so as a, you know, typically commercial financing, you have to have a very large down payment, typically 25 to 30%. um, And then you have to have um, the income coming in. So it's very hard to purchase these value add properties. But if you reach out to the seller and say, "Hey, seller, you on this outright? You know, here's, you know, if it's a million dollar property, here's two hundred fifty or here's one hundred fifty thousand or two hundred thousand, and give me favorable terms um, so I can get this property up and running to be able to then go to a bank and get some traditional financing. That's going to be very favorable. Typically, those seller financing terms allows you to just pay interest only." um, for the term of the seller financing, because the seller doesn't mm-hmm. care if you pay off the principal, um, which allows you to keep your cost basis pretty low, um, and be able to to hold the building for a longer time. That's what I did with my, uh, my latest project.
1: Sure. How, how do you typically a- approach that topic with the, with the seller? Like, uh, I'm sure that there has to be some serious rapport building for them to, to be ready for that type of thing.
2: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's again, I I find that the vast majority of these commercial uh, owners, they're deal junkies. Um, You know, they like to do deals. They understand it. Um, They're willing to carry paper because, hey, you know, you want to give me a a down payment. And then if you don't pay, I get to foreclose back on you and take my building back with your down payment. I'll do that deal, you know? So Mm -hmm. they're familiar with the process. And, um, you know, if if they're willing to sell, Probably willing to be a little bit flexible on some of the terms.
1: Sure. Well, you know, before anybody goes into the into this, um, a lot of commercial properties, of course, have proformas and and other and other things to analyze this property, and you're going through all of your due diligence. S- spend a little time talking about what people probably wouldn't be familiar with. You know, we we typically mm-hmm. talk a lot about you're doing your due diligence and running your numbers on residential properties, but how is that different when it comes to analyzing this commercial property?
2: Yeah, very, very good point. So um, some of the key differences that you should be aware of when evaluating a commercial property is that not all leases are equal, right? Um, And so, you know, if I have a building and uh, I've got 5,000 square feet and it's leased out by Walmart, and another five thousand square feet at the same rate that's leased out by adam's general store the lease with the walmart is going to be much more valuable right because it's backed by a national brand um, and you know that they're going to pay uh, i don't know i don't know anything about adam's general store i don't know anything about adam i don't know if he's got two nickels to rub together um, so that's first and foremost um, secondly you know the length of the term is there a personal guarantee do they, is, is this their one location or do they have five, you know, are they a good operator? Um, you have to evaluate, it's not just about the numbers on the paper and also the numbers on the paper might be complete bull from the broker. Um, mm. you know, basically you have to do your own analysis and look at the leases. Um, but you have to look at those other factors within the lease itself to determine the strength and how much you're willing to put your faith behind Mr. Tenant, who is going to be responsible for paying your bill bills, um, on this building, because you don't want to buy a building and have all your tenants go away. And now you're carrying it because I've, once you write a few of those checks, they, uh, they, they start to hurt.
1: Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. So, you know, um, what, what typically, I know it's going to be different depending on the, the amount of Different parts of the country, yeah. But you know, one of those one of those things that I I really want to. This is going to be a pretty newbie question when it comes sure. to this is cap rate. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of everybody talks about a cap rate, especially when it comes to commercial property. Uh, whereas on a residential, you might hear cash on cash return. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit like what's the difference between a cap rate and
2: Yeah. So a cap rate is really just kind of like a general rule of thumb. It's like gross rent multiplier, right? It's just like a figure that helps you kind of figure out what the risk is and what the kind of return is on any given investment, right? So going back to the last example, if I'm buying a building and the tenant is Walmart and they've got a 20-year lease you know, that cap rate is going to be super low because it's so secure. I know that um, I know that I'm going to get that payment. And so I'm willing to take less of a return over time for that security. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so maybe a 2.5% cap makes sense in that. And that just means, you know, essentially a two and a half percent return on your money, not counting other factors. Right. If I have that same lease with Adam's general store, um, I'm going to want that at an eight cap because I don't know Adam, he might go out of business. And so if I'm going to take over this property, I want to be compensated with the amount of a return that's going to warrant the risk that I'm taking. And so that's really the, the most important thing about cap. Everyone's like, I want a 10 cap. I want an eight cap. It's like, do you? Like that, cause, because you're, you, if you're getting that kind of cap, um, there's inherent risk. And so some people really want that risk. Some people, you know, I, I have clients who are, you know, I've have all these, you know, higher cap properties and now I'm at the end of my career and I want to now transfer it to something that's more secure that I can give to my kids because they're not experts um, in commercial real estate.
1: Right. So um, you know, I, I always like to give people some actionable items. So I'm gonna before before we do, I'm I'm gonna give give you the question in advance, so it gives you a few minutes to to think of a couple minutes to think about this.
2: Great, thanks.
1: So so I'd like you to think of like three things that you wish you would have known before going into commercial that uh, people should probably consider things that they could have they, they can take action on if they if they are interested in getting into commercial real estate. But before we get to that, I want to remind everybody again that we're talking to Adam Gilbert. He's with the, the firm commercial. Head over to the firmcommercial.com and in, you can find Adam on all of the social ne- social networks just look for Adam Gilbert and the number 13. But uh, so Adam, did I give you enough time?
2: Yeah. What do you, you what did. do
1: you think? Like uh, what are those three things that they should consider before they get into real estate? In
2: so commercial uh, at least with commercial. So this is for all of our people who uh, work for themselves. Um, you know, the number one is show income um, because it's so easy to deduct everything and not pay any tax. Um, but in order to qualify for these loans, sh- you have to show income and paying taxes, the price that we pay, um, because these banks are not going to qualify you on these deals, unless you're showing enough money that you're earning outside of these investments year after year.
1: Right.
2: Um, <laughs> so that's one that, that always get that, uh, you know, I got the, the restaurant owner that wants to buy a building and hasn't shown a sh- hasn't shown any profit in 20 years. It's like, sorry, guy can't do it. Um, the second is just like, try to get involved in deals. Um, there are a lot of pitfalls, Within, uh, within commercial real estate. Um, and again, a lot of times because the numbers are so big, you might be pooling some other people's money together. So I don't know, volunteer your time, work for a broker, you know, watch other people's deals, lease out a space in property management, try to, try to just get as much on-site education as you can. And then, I mean, I, I got two. Uh, I, I don't know if I have a third.
1: Just no, that that'd be, that's great. <laughs> I mean, those two alone is is worth listening to this episode. I mean, yeah, I can't emphasize especially that last one. In fact, the 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 fellow I talked to just the other day pointed that out, and and it's 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 actually kind of surprising that um, one of the big things that we need to remember is that we're investing in real estate investing, but before you do that, you need to invest in yourself mm-hmm. and in. And one way to invest in yourself is actually spending some of that time. If you can't spend money, you spend your time finding a mentor or finding an opportunity that you can you can put a little sweat and equity in. If somebody's willing to trade a little bit for your time to get involved in a deal, even if it's just to shadow that person, the amount of education you will get is is more than worth that that time investment
2: and that's exactly what i did i found a local developer because uh, i wanted to go into real estate development and do go on that and i met him at a christmas party i probably followed up with him by text once a month for a year he finally said all right like let's go have get lunch and i volunteered my time with him for about two years and just sat at his knee essentially and watched him do deals and negotiate and taught and you know i did some busy work for him so that he got some value out of it um but that was a uh you know that was a great education uh, to be able to feel right. confident to do my first deal
1: yeah and that's a that's a big lesson there, there as well that you went to him asking how you can help versus I've actually heard of people going, going in and, and just right off the get go asking, can you be my mentor? And, you know, there's, there isn't a bigger thing that you could do that to drive somebody <laughs> away from you. Right. Exactly. You've got to find busy. ways to help you. Yeah. <laughs> they, these people at that level are very busy. And the last thing they they're doing is to giving you that time to be your mentor. They, mm-hmm. they need, they might need some help. That's the way to, to approach it.
2: Definitely. Definitely.
1: But it, it is definitely a mindset thing. I think there's a lot of, and you and I probably could spend a whole episode just talking about mindset. So we probably shouldn't open that can of
2: worms. But, um, <laughs> another time.
1: <laughs> another time. Well, I really appreciate your time, Adam. This was, this was great. Uh, you kind of gave everybody a kind of one oh one on commercial real estate investing. And before I let you go, is there a question you wished I would have asked you here tonight?
2: Um, that's a really good question. Um, no, I think, you know, I think we, we got a nice little basis here. Um, again, you know, I try to give, uh, tips on my social media about little things that you should be thinking about. So feel free to follow me and, um, you know, if you have any other questions, don't hesitate to reach out via DM.
1: No, that's awesome. So again, thank you. And we'll talk to you again sometime. Thanks so much, Jack.